had a dream last night. Anyone dream last night? Anyone remember your dream? What, what makes you remember the dream? like happened right before you wake up? Was that when you remember it? I had a dream. Someone started a speech that way once, didn't they? I had a dream that I remember when I was waking up this morning. It was a really good dream. I wish I had this one every night. Um, I told Brother Himes that I, I, I was... I was in prayer in the spirit for Japan uh, in my dream. And I don't know how it got there, or maybe he was watching Cody Kojima on the video last night or something. I don't know. Um, but uh, so I was just weeping in intercession for Japan, and I woke up that way. It's a nice feeling to wake up in the spirit in that way. Um, and I consciously tried to continue to to pray for Japan in that way. And uh, so um, I was just thinking on our world. I was watching a documentary regarding Myanmar, also in fall back in World War II, and then also just, it was just talking about life up in the, actually it was the Chin Hills is where the video was, was taking it was just talking about the terrible roads, a very well, well done storytelling type of documentary uh, a couple years ago. And they were talking about how that formerly, when the military junta or junta was ruling Myanmar for, you know, decades, and the video is talking about it no longer being the case. And then realizing that literally in the last couple of weeks, it's just reversed. And just watching that and just saying, Lord, oh, deliver the people of Myanmar. And just uh, burdened. And uh, the gospel is advanced in the Chin Hills. And you saw the churches and the people praying. And um, the videographer had no, he was not a Christian. He was some Britisher or... American, I don't know, but just thinking about the burden for our world and uh, the needs that are there. Uh, the next, um, the next uh, Go Mission uh, podcast will be should be released on Saturday, and uh, for that I I Zoom called to Kumar in India, and I I saw him on uh, on Monday. We talked for. Uh, maybe 45 minutes or so, and uh, wow, he is, he is a blessing. He is awesome. And uh, he was saying, yeah, we're just, we're just 6,800 churches shy of our goal of one million. <laughs> now, who thinks in terms like that? <laughs> yeah, we're just 6,800 churches shy of one million. Wow, this guy is, um, his vision is so big, and, uh, and, he's, and he's connected to it. And uh, he told me a story about a, a couple stories, and, and one's on the podcast, and uh, uh, from a little connection to him of, 
he's continually training pastors, and so he was in a, uh, in a, a setting where he had 15, 15 pastors, preachers, and he's training them on, uh, on uh, just you know, church planning, gospel proclamation, truth over a couple days and there's this 11 year old boy who is kind of the assistant he's bringing in food water to Kumar as he's speaking and but the boy is just standing but he never leaves the setting or the training he's actually taking it in and at the end of it he asked for permission to leave because he was kind of a hired hand uh, to leave the the trainer, the past, he was in a preacher's setting, so he was a, he was a hired boy with the preacher. He says, can I go, can I leave? Uh, I, I've, got to, I've got to take this, I've got to go back to my family. And he gives him permission, so this 11-year-old boy goes back, and he, he just takes everything that the pastors were given and just goes back and, and uh, reaches out to his family. He says, I've got to go to my family. And he leads his mom and his dad to the Lord and uh, leads a whole bunch of people uh, to the Lord. He comes back and says, I, I can't work here anymore. I've got to go. Can I go back there? And I got to live. And, uh, Kumar, and the preacher says to Kumar, see, that's why I was worried about this training. I was going to lose people. You know, you were going to, and, and you, I lost my hired hand. And, uh, and Kumar says, I'll replace him. Let him go. And so the 11-year-old boy goes and he um, he, he, he plants several churches. His dad becomes a pastor of a church. And to this day, that boy has now, that is several years now, I think he's planted 40, 45 churches. Um, no longer a boy. But that kind of obedience. And Kumar says, all of those guys in the training, the pastors in the seminary, he says, they haven't, they haven't done anything. They haven't planted anything. Because they didn't have that readiness to obey. And that boy obeyed. And the others, um, uh, you know, we can have a lot of knowledge and be deceived and think we're disciples, you know. And I think, isn't that our problem? Isn't that our problem? I mean, aren't you fighting that all the time? Um, and just going out there and really engaging the harvest um, and, um, um, and taking what we know and just giving ourselves uh, to that. I, I, let's turn to Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy chapter um, 2. It's actually two years ago at this time that I was over in uh, uh, Papua New Guinea uh, for the first time with uh, Brother Stahl. He reminded me of that. And... Uh, uh, Papua New Guinea, of course, they just had a so-called a so outbreak of COVID in Port Moresby just in the last couple of weeks. I got an email from Air New Guinea this morning saying, because of that, flights from Australia are now being restricted up here to Papua New Guinea in a new sort of a way. And, oh man, is this ever going to go away? You know, I, uh, I don't know. Papua New Guinea had very little... Um, uh, COVID, but they still shut everything down. So what's that going to mean? You know, very little exposure. Um, I saw that like one in five Americans when they're tested 
have COVID antibodies in their body, you know, already. That's regardless of what's happened. So it's spread, you know, and we're all dealing with that. But what about a nation that ha hasn't been allowed to spread it, you know? How's that gonna hang around there for, for how long, you know? Um, I think there's like 10 nations of the world that have had absolutely no COVID, um, and they're all South Pacific islands. So what are they gonna do? <laughs> Shut their borders for the rest of their existence, you know? And like, oh man, uh, this is, uh, it's so interesting when it comes to uh, the world, uh, world travel. One missionary has um, shared with me, he says, I'm a little, I'm trying to figure out what I should do with my family. He says, because I have to go over to we're returning to the field, but do I want to get like a vaccination before I go? Not like I want to get vaccination, but do I, do I want to get it? Because if I get over there and I get stuck having to do Chinese vaccination, you know, what, what's going to happen? You know, am I going to be cornered in? And, and so the wrestling with, you know, choices along those lines. God's bigger than all of that, but it's just an interesting twist when it comes to missions and gospel advance. Right, Matthew? Right? who's here because of that very reason, getting shut out of uh, Bolivia because of travel restrictions that come up unexpectedly. Uh, but the Lord is, uh, we, we can certainly trust him in it, but it certainly calls for a new level of patience, doesn't it? Uh, and trust, and that's, yep, that's where we're at. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter um, two, um, we find this statement, and uh, this actually was placed on my heart when I was over there in Papua New Guinea a couple years ago. 2 and verse 3, or verse 2 and 3, And the Lord spake unto me, saying, Ye have compassed this mountain long enough. Turn you northward. Uh, that, uh, we certainly can feel at times like we're just circling the wagons, even in our own life spiritually. And you think of this moment uh, in, you know, in Moses' life, you've compassed this mountain long enough. Um, we find a similar statement um, over in chapter 1 and verse 6. The Lord our God spake unto us in Horeb, saying, Ye have dwelt long enough in this mount. Um, so there comes a time in our life where we have... Uh, where God can do something new and different in our life, and he wants to, and he said, um, it's time to go a new direction. And I think God is wanting to uh, do that in all of us, in all of our lives. Um, sometimes we may feel a little bit like our life is stuck in a roundabout, right? <laughs> and uh, we're just going around, and we don't know how to get, take the right exit. Um, and uh, that's what happens we we lose sight of the direction or the destination that God has for our lives and here uh, there's a couple things here that I just want to point out to you in this in this setting here um, about um, um, going in the direction that God would have us especially when it comes to mission advance um, look at chapter 1 look at verse uh, 9 and here's and here's a here's a first thought look at verse uh, down to, um, uh, let's see, um, 
Moses here in the setting is uh, verse 9 where he's responsible for this just this large group of people uh, that the Lord had multiplied, you know, a couple million. Um, and uh, here he is, uh, how can I bear this burden? And the Lord tells him to divide the people out into various uh, levels of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Um, and the Lord made them uh, there in verse 16. I charged your judges at that time saying, hear the causes between your brethren and judge righteously between every man and his brother and the stranger that's with him. Ye shall not respect persons in judgment, but ye shall hear the small as well as the great. Ye shall not be afraid of the face of man for the judgment is God's and the cause that's too hard for you, bring it unto me and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things which ye should do. Um, and um, so they had, here's, here's a first thought. We can actually begin to take uh, advance spiritually and our mission can advance when we take responsibility to care for the spiritual needs of those immediately around us. Um, here you had a setting where you know, Moses was seemingly trying to solve all the spiritual problems of his great and huge congregation. Of course, his father-in-law came and said to him, this isn't going to work out very well. And the solution was for him to lead the people to take care of one another's spiritual needs. That make sense? Um, so where can I begin to take that step in advancing my own life into... Uh, in preparation for the mission that God has for me. Begin by taking care of and caring about the spiritual needs of the circle of people right around you. Do people have spiritual needs around you? Right? Um, let's say, how about in your own family? Think about your family for a minute. I think about that young man that Brother Kumar was training who just immediately went back. Does your, fa does your immediate family have real spiritual needs? Some of them. And you can feel a little bit exited from them. Hey, I'm off at school and so forth. And yet, um, and we can also get in patterns in our lives. Think about this. We can also get into patterns of our lives, especially when it comes to the circle family, where you have never really taken responsibility for the spiritual need of a sibling or someone immediately at hand in your life. Or let's say maybe you got hurt or a little bit and someone didn't respond well to that spiritual need. I can think of my own life when it comes to my, uh, to my I'm thinking of, of brothers and brother and situation where I was trying to urge him to do something that was right and the situation didn't go well. And you know what I, I largely did was I kind of just backed off. You know? And you can, have you backed out of the, out of, the spiritual need of someone whose responsibility is really yours and you've just kind of got a hands off in their life. What do you think? Does that maybe happen? And so what, what's happened is you're not taking spiritual responsibility for someone right here. You know what, you know what that's gonna, the trickle down effect of that's gonna be? You're, you're actually in the habit of pushing away from you the very ones that have great spiritual need. And you know what that's going to be like when you're you know, a pastor in your mission field and so forth? You're going to actually be living in that pattern. You think so? 
and let's say, um, you know, let's say in a dorm situation where you've got an immediate circle and, and guys have got some issues and maybe they're not re really responding well to you, you know? And so what are you going to do with that? Right? You're going to kind of walk away from it, right? Well, you walked away from your brother or sister when they had a spiritual need, right? I mean, it's not like you didn't care, right? I mean, it's not like you didn't try. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not off, but I just, I, I can't make a difference in that life and you walk away from it. And then, like, say you walk away from it in your dorm room in your situation like that. How about someone in your, you know, in your Sunday school class, you know, you know junior higher, maybe elementary, um, and, and do we get used to just kind of, well, hopefully they'll listen to pastor's message next time. In other words, kind of we line them up. Well, line them up at, at mom. I hope they go talk to dad. You know, Line them up at Brother Swanson's office. Hopefully they finally get straight up. Right, right. do we do that? Right. I'm, well, do we think that way? Right? And, and literally that was the problem. Okay, Moses, you're really smart. You're really, you know, you've got all the wisdom, which he did. But that wasn't how all the needs were going to be met, were they? So there got to be a moment where he made them responsible for groups of tens or groups of 20 or whatever. And by the way, isn't that what we're supposed to do in church ministry? When you become a Kumar one day. Are you going to be trying to plant all the churches if you're Kumar? No, what are you going to be doing? You're going to be actually putting that responsibility in the hands of others, right? Uh, but if we haven't learned well how to actually solve individual problems or do the work ourselves, how can we train someone else to do it, right? Um, it's gotta, it has to become our personal responsibility uh, in this way. So mission advance begins when we begin to actually train others. Isn't that what the, the pastoral role is actually supposed to be? You actually equip others to do the work of the right, of the ministry. So you're actually training the body to care for itself, right, so that the whole body builds itself up. Isn't that what actually the, the plan of God is? Isn't that the genius of the plan of God, actually? That really the, the leadership gift is to actually equip all the people to do the ministry, so you really have the genius of the church is that it really is a, a grassroots uh, ministry. It's an every-member ministry. Um, and so it has to start somewhere, start with you. So take that responsibility for that spiritual issues. How about strongholds? Do, do, do you know anyone who's got a, a pattern in their life or someone near you who has a stronghold? Are you going to take responsibility for that? Um, and that is... Um, What will happen is if we're not, what, what's going to happen is if we don't learn how to take responsibility, admonishing one another, exhorting one another, leading others, do you know what we're going to end up doing? Circling the mountain. Will our church actually be advancing if we haven't actually trained one another to care for one another, to disciple one another, to multiply one? And we'll just be circling the, we'll just be circling the wagons. Um, uh, we'll be circling the mountain. And so every believer, how, let's put it this way. 
there are captains of hundreds, captains of fifties, captains of tens, right? And there's different levels of responsibility and ability. Not everyone could administrate so many connections, so much responsibility. God has different levels of that. Uh, you know, when I think of Kumar, I'm thinking, wow, there is an amazing giftedness there that is on a dimension beyond very few will actually be on that level. Although when you talk to him, he is as ordinary as they come. Um, there's different captains, but you know, what we're, you know what we're trying to do? We're trying to make every believer a captain, responsible. It might be just 10. It might be just five. When I'm actually in disciple-making and I'm trying to lead someone else to become a disciple or a disciple-maker, really, I'm trying to lead them to take responsibility for one more life or three more lives. And it starts at home. Take responsibility for your home. So I want to come back to that here as we leave this point. Have you taken responsibility for just how well your siblings are doing? You're off at college, and maybe it hasn't gone well in the past, and you've really just kind of left them in mom and dad's hands. And you've walked away from something. I just want to say, by not walking away from that, you could actually stop circling the wagon, the mountain of your life. By seeing that sibling through, literally could be what puts into your heart and into your life something that literally could change a whole region of the world because you took responsibility for that life. It's the one right next to you. And if, you, if that one that you're responsible right next to you, if you, can't, if you don't understand the dynamic of changing your life, you can't, you'll, never move, you'll never move past that. So that is the first thing. Um, mission advance begins when we make captains of everyone and teach them to take responsibility for that circle right next to them. Um, secondly then, look over at uh, chapter 1 and verse 21. Um, here's the second thing that uh, begins, that shows us when mission advance uh, occurs. Uh, 21, 120. Behold, the Lord thy God hath set the land before thee. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God of thy fathers has said unto thee. Fear not, neither be discouraged. Well, that's good news. 22. And ye came near unto me, every one of you, and said, We will send men before us, and they shall search us out the land and bring us word again by what way we must go up and into what cities we shall come. And the saying pleased me well, and I took twelve men of you, one of a tribe, and they turned and went up into the mountain, came unto the valley of Eshcol, and searched it out. And they took of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down unto us and brought us word again and said, It's a good land which the Lord our God doth give us. Um, and so they did this... Um, what, what was that called? These uh, dozen men. What, what, would you, what would you call that little outing? What would you call it? A, a scouting mission. Yeah, right, exactly. A research trip, right? Well, I thought, the land, I thought God told them that. Why did they have to go and research it? Well, I'm not sure why they had to go and research it. Um, is research ever important in missions advance? 
you got to find out some stuff. And does that mean that, oh, well, you know, I'm just depending on my own understanding, my own thinking if I'm doing some research? No. I mean, was this research trip ordained of God? Right. Was it supposed to go bad, kind of like it did? Was that God's plan? No. But they had to do some research. There was some knowledge they had to obtain. And it was a particular region that they knew God had given them. Um, and, you know, mission research will always do this. Research will always uncover opportunities and impossibilities. Always. And opportunities are exciting, aren't they? They're like, hey, well, I could just see what God could do. I could, you know, here's my person of peace, or here's these unreached people, and, and you begin to, you know, get a vision, and that's, that's very exciting, but then you're always going to come across in your research something else, right? Impossibilities. Oh, how are we going to handle that? Like in emissions work now, you know, COVID, ah, no, this is a problem. You're always going to uncover impossibilities along with opportunities. And how you respond to that um, is, uh, is really going to be a make or, make or break moment. But I want to encourage you um, guys and, and gals, if God's laid some region of the world on your, on your heart, find out about it. Don't just sit back and wait for someone else to assign it to you. You know, don't wait for the next class to be, you know, Burmese offered. Go find out something about the world that God's laying on your heart. Take some initiative. Begin to pray through that region. Um, well, this is actually really amazing in Kumar's testimony. This little boy, when he comes back from the training, having begun to witness and literally plant several churches, guess what he finds out about that boy? That boy is actually a member of one of the unreached people groups that Kumar's been praying for. And he says, that boy is an answer to a prayer of mine. I've been praying for this unreached people group. There was a remnant of them or some uh, uh, refugee, that had, a group that had left from one area of Bangladesh or something, they were near at hand, and this boy was there, and he gets saved, and he says, literally, God was answering my prayer, and I had no clue. He also noted this, I thought the answer for my prayer was in those 15 men sitting in front of me, not the boy at the door. <laughs> he says, don't script out the way God's going to answer your prayer. Uh, you're going to plant. This is really actually important in missions, by the way. Oh, actually important in the church. Don't look at the surface of individuals for who's going to bear the most fruit. Don't, don't judge and say, man, this guy's got a good education. This guy's got, you, you, know who's, you know the one who's destined to bear the most fruit? The one who obeys. Look for obedience, not for education. By the way, that should be our own life, shouldn't it? Um, look for the one who's going to take the simple knowledge that they're given and begin to obey it. And they're going to bear the most fruit. That's what happened with that boy. And, uh, but, he was, um, but he was an answer to prayer with the, um, uh, unbeknownst to 
Brother Kumar, an unreached people group, was reached that, <laughs> reached that day uh, through his ministry. And uh, f- do some research and find that. And, find that. and here's, the cur- here's the key thing. As you do the research, always respond with faith. Always respond with faith. Because you're going to uncover some impossibilities that are going to stymie you. How is this going to work out? You know, I, God's been touching my heart along those, those lines. And uh, even something Brother Zemple said yesterday evening, Pastor Zemple uh, encouraged me as well. But do uh, you know, God is the, uh, Jesus Christ is the author and the what? Do you know what faith is? Faith is never understanding the end of the story. Faith is taking the step into the story God's laying before you without knowing the end. He'll finish the story if you step into it. That's faith. And do you know by that you actually obtain a good, a good testimony? You know at the end of Hebrews 11 says, These obtained a good report, though they didn't see the end. Do you know what? Faith is not always having all the wisdom to be able to tell the whole story to everyone who's following you. Faith is taking this step, and that is a good testimony. You know that's a good testimony? You know it's a good testimony when you just step towards what God's laying in front of you even though you don't know everything? That's, that was the report. Some of those folks died in faith, not having seen the end of the story, but they still have a good testimony. That encourage others to do it. And that's, that's that step of faith in towards that impossibility. And this was a trial of faith. Isn't it a tragic thing that when this research was done, there were, we know there were three men who responded with faith. Who were those three men? Joshua, Caleb, and Moses. We know we had three men who were responding with faith. And how many men did not respond with faith? And, well, the, the key men, there have been 10 other key men, right? And you can say, I heard someone say everyone else. And, and ultimately, it's, it seems like everyone else. But do you, know, realize, do you realize actually that that decision making for everyone else was in the hand of 13 men? Sometimes I kind of think that. It's kind of an amazing thing, isn't it? that there are these key individuals in our world who actually kind of become global magnets for you know, whole groups making the same decision. That's kind of startling to think about that. The masses just following. And this, this, there were 13 guys, three on one, 10 on the other, and literally all the masses went one of those directions. Isn't that amazing? Um, and, uh, and 10 men, think about this, Ten men canceled out the faith, at least for that generation, of three men. Well, it's kind of a startling thing, isn't it? What if you're on a deacon board someday, you know, and you're making a decision and the pastor's filled with faith, maybe another man is and another six or seven aren't, and what if the wrong decision's made? You ever think about that? What if the wrong decision is made And in a certain sense, the pastor actually wasn't able to do the right decision. 
You say, well, Moses blew it. Joshua, Caleb blew it. Well, the Bible doesn't actually say they did. But ten men actually blew it, didn't they? Think about that. That my, I could look at others around me who have responded, you know, and they may be filled with faith and I'm not, and yet my own choice or a group of our choice could actually end up canceling out the faith of others. Isn't that a sobering thing? Think about that. You do the research, you cover the impossibilities, and then you draw back. Think of the result of that. You know. Maybe a whole generation isn't reached in the region of the world that you were supposed to go to. Japan, that's, start, that's a tough That's a tough area to confront. What if you look at all that and say, man, I can't do that. Japan is one of the most, uh, in fact, it's when you talk about actually unreached regions of the world, Japan ranks near the top. Not because they haven't had opportunity, but what's happened there, the remaining, it's down to, like Christianity is less than 1% or something. Shouldn't, shouldn't we believe for Japan? Right? Someone, someone, God's calling you towards Japan. If you look at those impossibilities, God wants us to have faith. Um, so research the opportunities, but you must respond with faith to the impossibilities. And then the final thing um, um, is uh, mission advance. So mission advance occurs when we make everyone responsible for their spiritual influence. Moses did that. Mission advance occurs when we research opportunities and respond with faith before the impossibilities. But the third thing is at the end of this chapter, Deuteronomy 1, look at verse 34. And the Lord heard the voice of your words and was wroth and swear, saying, Surely there shall not one of these men of this evil generation see that good land which I swear to give unto your fathers. What a, what a, what a heartbreaking, what a heartbreaking thought that is and reality. But look at verse 36. Save who? Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it. And to him will I give the land that he hath trodden upon and to his children because he has wholly followed the Lord. Here's the awesome encouragement, and that is this. Mission advance begins when you as an individual choose to wholly follow the Lord. You know, mission advance ultimately isn't, isn't well, it is. But on one hand, it's not just a corporate decision, it's an individual choice. You might be just sitting around frustrated saying, what's wrong with everyone around me? Forget about everyone around you, just put a mirror in front of your face and say, will this guy follow the Lord? A lot of times, I know in my own life, I find I'm frustrated with others because I'm actually not wholly following the Lord myself, right? I really want to, I want to think about that. If you find yourself often thinking in terms of frustration with leaders around you, with others around you for, why, why aren't they doing this? Why isn't this happening? That's, you need to self-diagnose something that really unhealthy is going on inside of you. You're actually in a pattern of not taking responsibility for your own life. And that frustration is going to boil over. So if you have that thing, don't just deal with that now and say, wait, this is in my hands. Will I decide to wholly follow the Lord? And, and Caleb made that choice um, to wholly follow the Lord. And obviously, that was a decision. It was made by an individual. It was a, it was a decision that involved taking new territory. He says, give me this mountain. Is that a, that's, a, that's a big deal. 
He asked the Lord for, he didn't ask the Lord just for a house or even a single town. He asked the Lord for a mountain. And that's a region. Ask the Lord to show you the mountain you're supposed to claim. Give me this mountain. I'll take it. I don't care what the rest of the folks are doing. I'm going to take this mountain. Um, and that individual responsibility. Well, there's still giants living on it. And there were. And Caleb said, I'm taking it. Um, there are some believers that haven't taken a new step of obedience, a new step of service, a new step in prayer, a new opportunity to witness in years. Maybe for you it's in months or in weeks. And this decision, I'm going to take this territory. It's going to confront enemies that are on the strongholds that are on that territory. I'm going to confront those strongholds, maybe in my life, but also certainly in the lives near at hand. And it's a determination to take all the ground that God had promised. Joshua had marked out that, um, remember in Joshua 11? So, uh, in fact, I was thinking about this in relation to Papua New Guinea. Joshua 11 comes to a moment where it says, Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord said unto Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance unto Israel according to the division of their tribes, and the land rested from war. I always loved that verse, but I always couldn't figure out why war followed in the next couple chapters. I thought it was over. I thought Joshua took it all. But do you know that Joshua actually did take his role was completed? But do you realize that what his role was, and some you could kind of his role was to mark out the boundaries for everyone else to go take their own sections, right? see that in Judges. So Joshua completed taking out some, some, some big strongholds, but it did not. He didn't do the fighting for everyone. Are you waiting for someone to do all the fighting for you? I've got a good classroom. I've got a good school and they're going to set me up, and they're going to win the battle. They're not going to fight all your battles. You're going to have to take the stronghold. You're going to have to take the city. Well, you know, one day you'll graduate and say, okay, well, your life's clear. You're good to go. Is that going to be it? Not at all. Not even close. Um... Would BCM have done its dirt work? Maybe he did everything it was supposed to do. But someone's got to decide to take the land God's given to you. There's a mountain for you to take. Joshua took, he did his role. No one come back and say, Joshua, you didn't take enough of my enemies. You were supposed to clear all the land. Look, there's still enemies on my land. Joshua says, no, I did my job. You're supposed to take that. Right? Individual choice. Aren't you glad that this choice, it's never too late? Caleb was 80 plus, Joshua. Um, uh, in his testimony, I was 40 years old when I, uh, when I, when I was, was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh by Neo to spy the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. And, uh, but he wholly followed the Lord and God gave him that chance when he's 85 years old. Aren't you glad for that? 
the grace of God is there. Amen? And uh, we don't have to just bemoan lost opportunities and a lost generation, for that matter, when it comes to Caleb's time. He could be part of the new generation. Amen? Let's bow our heads here.